Thank you. Um, just thinking while that reading was happening, um, a few years ago there was an advert, uh, I think it was for the Royal Navy, and it started with this kind of, it asked a question, who, who wants to just be a cog in a machine? Uh, which I guess is kind of picking on that thing that often we just feel like we're lost in this crowd and this big machine of life. And it said, who wants to be a cog in a machine? And then it said, it depends on the machine. And what it was talking about was the Royal Navy, that actually, you know, you're part of this thing that's alive and full of life. It was quite a clever advert, really. Um, Sometimes, I've been around church for lots of years, and uh, all different types of churches, and many of you know me know that story, all sorts of types of churches, and lots of things that were really great, and things that I'm incredibly thankful for. Thankful for kind of the heart for the word that I got from the Baptist church. Um, I'm thankful for that sense of... um, love of older generations towards me and my four brothers in this United Reformed Church where we walked in that only had like two old ladies in. But they loved us. I think they were staggered to see young young boys. Ooh. I think they were quite excited to see young people under the age of sort of 75, I think. They were quite pleased. But they really loved us and they prayed for us. I was thankful to be part of a little village kind of church, tiny little church, but a real sense of community. And the pastor there really loved us as people. I was really thankful to be part of a kind of from a swinging from the chandeliers, wild, charismatic church that was just awesome and full of life and vibrancy and noise. I'm thankful for all sorts of different things that I get from church. But if I'm honest, at times, sometimes being part of church, you can just feel like this little, yeah, a little cog in this vast machine, seemingly insignificant. You know, there's the joke, and it's really well known, but you'll have heard it. What's the, what's the similarity between church uh, and a helicopter, that old one. You know, you have to be careful you don't get too close because if you do get sucked into the rotors. You know, we laugh because it's true. <laughs> we laugh because it's funny because if you're around church long enough, you get put on a list to do something. Now, actually, service is really good and that's part of who it is. But if that's what church becomes, fulfilling rotors or doing things or just rocking up and then doing a church service and then going home, or feeling part of this massive, I've been part of really, really, I've helped lead, part of really, really big church that's very busy and buzzy and frothy, but I'm aware that often for people in it, they just feel lost. And uh, does anyone notice me? Am I really part of this thing, or am I just pew fodder? I know some of the challenges, and many of you will have experienced that. And so we as church, when I planted this church, it's not that we're trying to be perfect, because as someone said, if you, if you find the perfect church, don't go, in, don't go to it because you'll ruin it. You know, there's no such thing as the perfect church because we are imperfect people. But our desire when we planted St. Matt's was to try and say, Lord, can we re- reimagine what maybe you want church to be rather than simply perpetuating old models, which sometimes, if we're honest, are more about claiming territory or getting a name or building a platform or a reputation you know, often started with good roots and good origins, but can often just become institutionalized or business-focused. Or Actually, lots of churches don't really know quite why they exist anymore. And so we were determined to do things a little bit differently here. I love that passage that talks about living stones. Because when I look at you, that's what you are. You're living, most of you, and, you know, and you're stones. You're, what does that mean? Well, it's a building material, um, 
And we're all different shapes. <laughs> we will notice that. Different shapes, different sizes, different personalities, different temperaments. Um, uh, some of us are kind of round. Some of us have got kind of square edges. Uh, but that's okay because God wants to use us and build with us. A few, many years ago when I was working in Bristol, there's a church in Bristol, it's actually an Anglican church, and I had no idea I'd end up being an Anglican vicar at the time, but I remember being asked to go and speak at this church gathering. Um, it's up on the edge of Clifton Suspension Bridge, near there, if you know that area, and there's some woods around there. And there was a church leaders gathering, and we gathered in this space, and I had been asked to share a bit, and I think I might have even been doing a worship song or something. And there were Baptists and Anglicans and Free Church and Pentecostal. And it's always quite a funny sort of gathering, that, because the Pentecostals are desperate to put their hands in the air and shout in tongues. You know, some of the very traditional Anglicans are hoping that no one does anything that with, unless there's good liturgy. Uh, the Methodists are thinking, I, I hope no one's going to drink. And that kind of goes around, and there's all sorts of things going on. There's all sorts of things that people bring into the room, anxieties, fears, judgments, prejudices. But fortunately on that day, there was also quite a lot of love in the room. Uh, And when I arrived, knowing all the variety of people there, I remember thinking, Lord, how is this going to work as I was walking towards the building? How are you going to hold this thing together? And as I walked into the church, it's an amazing church because it has a a back wall built entirely out of uh, like flints and stones. And as I looked at this wall, I thought, well, that's the deal, isn't it? This wall, I don't know how it was made of this church. Every possible, every imaginable shape and kind of contorted stone somehow had been fitted together to make this wall. And because it wasn't regular and because it wasn't nicely squared off and trimmed, it was stunning. I mean, I imagine it was a nightmare to build this wall because you'd have to pick up a stone and go, mm, twist, twist, turn, to mm, no, no. Oh, now that one fits. You know, it's a bit like dry stone walls. If you've driven out on the A46, have you seen? They've been building dry stone walls. Incredible, right out to the motorway. Miles of this stuff. And there's, you know, one bloke with a pickup truck picking up stones, putting them down, pick up another one. Put, I mean, it's not the most exciting job, I'd imagine. He's been there for weeks. But what's being created is stunning. It's amazing. And God says he's building us like that. He looks at you and goes, you know what? I've got the perfect place to fit you into my purpose and plan. Who you are, how I created you, how I had you in mind when I formed you in your mother's womb. And even with the kind of knocks that we take in our past, in our history, you know, when bits get chopped off us that we never imagined would and and we get misshapen and bruised by life. And, you know, like flint, if you kind of nap it, you get sheets of this stuff come off that's really sharp. Sometimes that happens in our life. Things happen to us that cuts and and, and we kind of shatter and we think, God, uh, is that irredeemable? I had such plans. I had such hopes for your kingdom, your purpose and how you wanted to use me. And God goes, no, 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 it's fine. Because look, I can fit you here. And, And he never gives up on us. And somehow in the mystery of who God is, he doesn't intend those things to happen to us but he's the master of realigning us bringing us back into his purpose even with bruised history and even with shattered hopes and longings and and pain that we don't understand even with trauma and difficulties God says no no I can restore because his purpose is to turn us from victims that we might become because of what's happened to us to ministers to people who have a future and a hope And God's able to do that. Whatever your history, whatever your circumstance, he's got a plan for you. And that does not stop until you reach glory. However old you may be. Where's Peter? There we are. (laughs) 
however young you may be. Where's my wife? God always wants to use us, and God's got a purpose, and he fits us together like living stones. So what does that mean for us at St. Matt's? Well, as kind of a team, as, as a leadership and as an eldership, we've been praying, and we feel, you know, there are certain hallmarks to who we are. Different churches have different graces upon them and different callings, and we want to honor that and recognize that. Uh, but it's really important that we are true to who we are. Just as, as people have personalities, I think cities have personalities. There's kind of corporate kind of hallmark on them. And I think that's true for families. You may know families. Some families you'll know are really, really loud. Uh, if anyone's been to my family, Tom, you spent Christmas with my family last year, didn't you? Christmas Day when you were working in cities. Pretty bonkers, my family. I get used to it because that's how it is. But my children are kind of across the table really, really loudly. My family's quite loud. I know other families who aren't. They're beautifully quiet. I wish you could sometimes swap children, but that's just the way we're made. And some of those families are really quiet. Some are really, really funny. Some are really kind of serious. Some are really musical. Some are really artistic. Some are really, really bright. Some love creative stuff. Families have personality often as well. And therefore, church families have personality and calling. And we believe at St. Matt's that God is calling us into this new season of life to truly be who we're called to be so that God's kingdom can come to us and through us. It doesn't mean that we're better than other churches. No, but we want to play our, play our part in the city and what God's calling us to, and we're excited about that. And because of that, we kind of recognize there are five foundation stones that God has put in the heart of who we are at St. Matt's. And over the next five weeks, we're actually going to look at those in detail to help you understand who we really are. Because often we rock up on a Sunday night and there will be certain things that maybe you take for granted. The way we do worship, the way we do cafe, the way we try and welcome. You know, it might seem a surprise to you, but we've actually thought about those things. Uh, And actually, not just thought about them in a, hmm, let's try and do it like this but actually deep within us. Who are we? What are we called to be? And how do we authentically live those things out in our everyday existence, not just on a Sunday night, but the way we do life hubs, the way we do uh, our leadership team, the way we uh, do staff team, the way we have midweek meetings, the way we do services, the way we interact with our community. Those values need to run through everything about who we are. You know, it's an overused cliche, but it's like a stick of rock. You know, where you cut it, the name goes all the way through. For us, our prayer, our hope, and our sense from God is that these five foundations go through. Now, we have lots of values. We used to use the word values. We have lots of values as a church, and some of those values come into these things. But these are kind of like foundational stones at the heart and the base of who we are. And hopefully, we'll be able to... The reason I'm standing up here is so that the, um, it, it, it connects with a computer. Five foundation stones. What are these five foundation stones? Well, the first one, we can do these in detail, but I'm going to flash through them quickly so you know them, and then you will be tested at the end. The first one is worship-centered. This church was, was, was founded, was born on a hunger and a heart to worship, to worship our King, our Redeemer. Exodus 20, verse 3 says, Worship no God but me. God is looking for worshippers. It's not just a good thing to fill a service. God wants us to worship him. Now, is that because he needs our worship? Well, no, I'd suggest it's not about him, but actually it's more about us. John 4, 23 to 24 says this. It kind of confirms that, that God's looking for worshippers. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. 
God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the, spirit, in the spirit and in truth. I just want to say something here, kind of as a kind of, um, to underline something. What we've done tonight with the band and the kind of modern choruses, that is not the only way to worship. That's, we're not saying that is the true way to worship in spirit and truth. We hope it's how we find it easiest to do that. But you can worship in spirit and truth on this incredible Victorian organ, if you don't mind a bit of dust blowing out the pipes when you first switch it on. You can worship God in silence, in spirit and truth. For me, one of my ways that I love to worship God is going walking up in the mountains or on kind of the moors. And I get lost in creation. I look at the stars. For me, I worship the creator when I'm in those places. And a song perhaps rises out of me or a heart or a kind of a longing. That for me is worship. Worship that rises from inside. It's really, really important in those moments that we worship in that sort of way. So we're worship-centered. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And no one and nothing should be on the throne apart from Jesus. That's the truth. Nothing should be on the throne apart from Jesus. And sometimes we let other things get on the throne of our hearts. It's supposed to be Jesus. And as a church, we long for it to be Jesus. And the way we love to worship here, because we feel it's the way that God's called us to, is to be a worshipping community that just loves to dwell in his presence. I spoke about this last week. To just spend time with him, hanging out with him, worshipping him freely. It's not about the songs that appear on the screen or singing the right words or using the right tune. It's about our heart response to the goodness of God. And we worship him freely with abandon. And we want to do that more and more and more. We want to give him space and time. And we do need to do that. You know, I've, I've brought up in churches where you sing a song and you sit down. And you sing a song and you sit down. And before you know it, you don't really know what you've sung or why you've sung it. And you can't remember the words, anything. And half the words are talking about rolling spheres that are ineffably sublime. And you have no idea what you're talking about anyway. But that can be true for modern worship songs as well. They can be insipid or they can be not about him or they can be, we can get lost in them. Worship is our heart response to the goodness of God and we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the first one. The second value is uh, that we long to encounter the Holy Spirit. Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. Moses speaking to God says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. I don't know if you've ever been anywhere in a worship service, maybe in a big event like Soul Survivor or on kind of some kind of youth camp, if you remember back to those years, or maybe out in creation under the stars, and you just sense the holy, awesome presence of God. And it kind of, it stirs you. And in that moment, you don't want to leave. And Moses is saying here, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we're not leaving. We need you to go with us. We need your presence. We need your counsel. We need your guidance. Not because it's all about, oh, I, lovely, I love feeling fluffy and kind of nice and warm, but because the presence of God changes things. When the presence of God comes, people get healed. When the presence of God comes, those who are demonized get delivered. Captives are set free. Blind eyes are opened. People who are living in despair and brokenness feel hope. People living in darkness, light breaks into their lives. I've told you about my, my friend Miles, who was from Dover, and he, 
you know, he, he'd taken some drugs and he kind of, he, that was his culture and his background. He came to university and he took some LSD and had a terrifying trip for a week. He didn't sleep. Petrified, lost, terrified. He'd grown up in a Catholic environment, but he didn't really know God particularly. He'd gone to church occasionally. And in his desperation, after five days of not sleeping, of having daytime and nighttime terror uh, visions and kind of dreams, he was, he was lost. He looked on his shelf and he saw a Gideon's Bible that kind of they put there and he reached up and he grabbed this Bible and said, God, if you're real and you're there, I need help. And in that moment, this shaft of light hit him in his room and he fell to his knees knowing that God was real and that God could change his life. He didn't know scripture. He didn't know worship songs. He didn't know anything about the Bible, but he knew that God was real. And he, you know, he told me a few days later, he slept for the next four nights just hugging this Bible. He had met with the presence of God. Now, that was the beginning of a journey because we had to fill in quite a lot of gaps for him about the cross and about Jesus and about who the Father was and the Holy Spirit. But he, he, he became kind of a youth pastor and he's working. I was in contact with him recently. He's going on with God. God changed his life because he had an encounter with God. Now, I know for all of us, it isn't always like, quite like that, but God wants to meet you wherever you're at. He wants to meet you in your joy. He wants to meet you in your gifting. He wants to meet you in your job, in your workplace. He wants to meet you in your pain. He wants to meet you in your frustrations. He wants to meet you so that he can heal, transform, turn you into a minister, move you forward. He wants to lift you higher and encourage you. We need to have Holy Spirit encounters. Otherwise, it's just God out there somewhere. And God doesn't want to be out there somewhere. He wants to be in here. And the Holy Spirit's one of those strange things that he's around us, but he's also within us. He's the one that brings us to salvation, but he's also, as Julie said at pastor the other day, he's the wind that wants to fill our sails to help us move and encounter his goodness. And that's what Moses was praying in that moment. Zechariah 4.6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And so often we try and do church and we try and do our lives in our own strength or with our own wisdom or with our own experience or with kind of whatever things, perhaps relationships or history. Or, and God says, just don't. By my spirit is how we want to be, a spirit-led, spirit-guided, spirit-saturated people. And many of you here know what that's like. And for some of you, it's a story from yesterday or last year or five years ago or 10 years ago. And I kind of believe that God is increasingly saying, I want it to be your story today and tomorrow because God always has more for us. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. So that's... Holy Spirit encounters. The next foundation whee, is family focused. If you've been around at St. Matt's for any amount of time, you'll know that we're passionate about family. We don't get it right all the time, but our longing is to be a family, to be a true family. And family, you know, it's, it's, it's there for one another through the good times, through the bad times, to laugh together, to cry together to share for needs. I love that passage in Acts where it says they were of one heart and and mind, one heart and soul. It's like the body of believers in Acts had become one. One. We are supposed to be one. And yet so often churches aren't one. They kind of look like one from the outside. Lots of happy, smiley sunbeams. 
sometimes if you scratch the surface in church, it's terrifying because you don't realize the struggles that some people have or the pain or the joys or the successes or, you know, we, we want to be family. We want to share, not in an obtrusive kind of way where we push ourselves into each other's lives. No, but in a way where we can share and love each other. Family, I believe, is the foundation of society. Not just because it's come that way, but that was always God's plan. We therefore as church refuse to sacrifice our marriages, our children on the altars of human success. We as church want to always be family. And because we believe God has called us to be a spiritual family, we want to embrace community in all its forms to actually reach out and to love the outcast, love the other, love those that sometimes are tough to love. But we extend grace, yes, with boundaries. And yes, because any parent will tell you, you know, for your children, you put boundaries there. Not because you want to control them, but because you love them, because you want them to fly. And in order to fly, you have to support them and encourage them to teach them different values. We want to reject as church the idea of disposable relationships and to walk in love, respect and unity. And that's why I I talked so passionately last week about relationships because God has something better for us than what this world would love to offer us. God has the best and that's in our relationships, whether we're in a relationship or whether we're single. God's got something that he wants to help us with and help us to experience what it means to be in family. Family is one of the oldest of human institutions. It's older than government, older than the church, older than the patriarchs, older than the nations. And it goes right the way back to those first parents, Adam and Eve. Family is more than just biological lineage as well, I want to say that. It's rooted in the God who is all about oneness. Because God is one, right? But he's also three. Quite hard to get your head around some of that. And when we look at the Trinity, we see this perfect relational connection with love and honor and respect and beauty and freedom. And, you know, I know I always bang on about it, but it's such a beautiful image that the early church fathers talked about, this perichoresis, this eternal dance. Strictly come dancing, I really don't like. But I know lots of you probably do. Although I did see, um, what's the sports guy when he did his film one recently? That was very funny. I've lost some of you at this point. He fell over, didn't look beautiful, or she fell over. It was a mess. When the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dancing, there's no kind of mess in their beautiful dance. That's the word, perichoresis, dance around. That's the word they use, the early church fathers. And the Father circling and honoring the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit circling and honoring the Son and the Father and the other one honoring the other two and circling around them. It's beautiful weaving in and out. And no one's bumping or jostling for position or, or power or, you know, hierarchy. But they're honoring and preferring and loving and stepping out of the way for the other one. This beautiful, beautiful dance. So different from the world where people want to climb on each other or push through or jostle through. And the Father's looking to create a church where we have this beautiful dance because the ridiculous thing is we're invited into that dance with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what the church is supposed to be about. Where the Holy Spirit reaches out and says, come with me, come and dance. And he introduces us to Jesus. And we realize what it is to be a friend of Jesus. And we encounter the Savior and, and we receive forgiveness. And he says, let me show you to the Father. 
the Father who sent me so that you can have relationship with him. And the Holy Spirit's speaking the words of Jesus into your soul so that you can receive this beautiful relationship with the Father and the Son. And we're drawn into this glorious dance and suddenly we're dancing with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's helping us because most of us are really too left-feated and we're falling over and tripping and we're thick and we're out of time. And the Holy Spirit says, it's okay, let me teach you about rhythm. Let me teach you about love and grace and mercy. And then he says to us, and now I want you to go and draw other people into this dance too, to help them understand the joy that's found with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the family grows because we draw people in. That's what we're invited to. That's what we're passionate about. That's why our strapline is finding family, creating community. That's what we're looking and longing to do, to try and bring that sense of community. The author of Genesis explains when he says, in the image of God, he created mankind, male and female, he created them. That's Genesis 1.21. For Genesis, it's male and female together who express the image of God. And where family is created, replicating and modeling this extravagant, generous and creative God, you know, we, we model what it is to be family with one another. And that's whether you're in a relationship or whether you're single. For those who are single, they're part of our family. They're key and instrumental in modeling that to us. No worries about history or shame or judgments. No worries, perhaps, where we have worries about the future. We say, no, you're part of our family. We want to support you and stand with you through those difficult times. I love it. It's challenging, isn't it, where it says they all had all things in common. Wow, what might that look like as a church in Acts 4? It says they shared. Where someone had need, or those that had enough shared. I could tell you so many stories of the generosity and kindness in this church where I've seen needs met, people provided for, financially, spiritually, practically. That's what it means to truly be family. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And the beautiful thing about the church when you're trying to be family is this passage in Psalm 68, 5 and 6. I love this. Talking of God, he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Listen to this verse. God sets the lonely in families. Kind of, it just hits me whenever I read that verse. God sets the lonely in families. And how many people in our society are lonely? Let me tell you, most. You know, in the busyness of the workplace. In the, and we cover it up with money and wealth and cars and new gadgets and all the rest of it. But actually, people are often profoundly lonely and dislocated. And God says, I've got a family, my family on earth, that I want people to encounter to experience my grace. That's what we're called to be. I love the fact that this church, if you go and see in the entrance hall, there's a big plaque on the wall. When it was built in 1847, right at the root of this church was established a fund to help the widows and orphans of this parish. I love that. It's in the DNA of what this building, and it's in our heart. Now, maybe there aren't loads of widows and orphans out there, but there are loads of people with orphan spirits in our generation that God is calling us to reach out to and love. There are loads of widows. There are loads of people who experience bereavement, loneliness. We're called to reach out to them as a community. Fourth one is this. (laughs) I was keeping myself amused making these. It's intergenerational. We want to be intergenerational as a church. Now, you might think, well, that sounds the same as being family-focused. Well, it sort of is, except there's something really, really exciting. We are committed as a church to a culture of empowering leadership. And we're therefore intentionally multi-generational. You know, we don't want to wait until you're in your late 60s to become a leader. 
If you're a leader, we want you to be a leader now. Whether you're 25, 21, 18, 15. If you're a leader, then we want you to lead and we want to encourage you and get behind you to say, well, you can lead when I get out of the way. No, no, no. We want you to lead and lead in whatever areas. And that doesn't just mean, you know, please, doesn't just mean standing on this platform or leading worship or leading a service. We want you to be a leader in whatever sphere God has called you to. You might be called into the area of finance and banking. Well, we want you to lead with an integrity and authority. And we want to pour everything we can into encourage you and cheer you into that. You might be called into the area of children's work or perhaps teaching. We want you to be a leader. It doesn't mean necessarily leading, but it might mean leading in a school context as a head or a deputy. But it may be leading kind of staff and leading by your example. Whether you're a student, whether you're a mum on the school gate, whether you're kind of you know, in the saga, over 75 holiday group or whatever you might be in. Whatever it is, wherever you're being called, you might be being called as a leader. It might be in church ministry. It might be in society. But more importantly, it's about the generations joining to release who you truly are and whatever capacity God has called you. God wants to join the generations because true family is about generations working together, honoring the other generations and recognizing that they will bring something that we haven't got. So we need you guys who are under 25. The church needs you. This country desperately needs you to rise up and find your voice and find your place. Those of you who are working in the government, those of you, man, those who are working in the government, we really need to pray for them right now. Those who are thinking about politics, those who are thinking about medicine, those who are thinking about teaching or business, world, we need to pray for you. Those of you who are in those spheres now, you need to be looking down at generations below you and looking up at the generations above saying, how can we work together? Because when generations work together, something amazingly happens. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, God says this, and I don't think he says it for any just random reason. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. There's three generations there. Now, if you look at those characters, they're really, really different. Is one more important than the other? Is one more godly than the other? Well, you could argue about that. But I think God's created them uniquely to, as part of his story, of part of history, but part of his story, his unfolding plan and revelation of who he is. And God used them. He's the God of those three generations. And I think when generations join together, something amazing happens. In Matthew 17, Jesus, referring to the prophet Malachi concerning the mission of Elijah, he's kind of pointing at the generations and he talks about the fact that God wants to turn the hearts of sons to the, to, to the fathers and the hearts of fathers to the sons. And this, this restoring of hearts of sons to fathers and fathers to sons, and that's kind of not just between fathers and sons, but it's between the generations. And so often generations fracture. Some of you here is you may have really broken relationship with your parents or maybe no relationship with your parents. And that's not just young people. That's all the way up the age range. You know, we often have trauma, but God wants to join generations in order that his kingdom may come fully. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, you've heard me teach things that, are, this is speaking, Paul speaking, you've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Paul saying, you've heard me teach. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. It's a chain of three here. Paul's saying, you've heard me teach this truth. Now I want you to teach others so that those people can teach others. And when God joins the generations, I believe that something amazing happens. And so often church is kind of, the generations fracture and are divided. So we as a church are passionate about trying to join the generations here, which is why 
We love young people. We love children. We love youth. We love students. We love people, you know, young adults. We love, don't laugh, we love slightly older adults. We love the older generation. We love those who are kind of in their hundredth year and things like that. We love all those generations because there's always a purpose and a part that God has for them. For young parents, we love them and we want to support them and encourage them through really, really tricky times. Because it's often really tough being a mum. You know, as many of you will will recognise, I remember when young kids and for James and Sam with their kids at home, it's tough, isn't it? For Fee with little Isaac, you know, there's challenges with children. There's such a joy, which is why we love embracing people as part of the family and loving them. No conditions, no kind of restraints, just love freely given. The last one you'll be delighted to know is apostolic hub. What do we mean by that? Well, as a church, we believe that God is calling us to make Jesus known. (laughs) You'll be pleased to know. That hopefully won't come as a surprise to you. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came in to seek and save the lost. You know, it is really important to remember there's a lost world outside these four walls. And we can come in here and have a lovely time and get lost in worship, wonder, and space. And that's beautiful, and we need to do that. But we as Christians so often forget that the call and the mandate is to bring transformation to the world that doesn't yet know him. Jesus is passionate about Whitcomb. Jesus is passionate about the city. Jesus is passionate about our nation. And most people do not know anything about him. They think he's some bloke in a book, some myth, some fairy tale. We're called to share the good news. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's called the um, Great Commission. It comes with a great encouragement at the end. Surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the Holy Spirit bit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so you're not alone. Go, but I go with you. It's the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. If you've got a bit of spare time and you're not too busy, then maybe you can go to the world. No, Jesus says, go, go, and I'm going to go with you. So we as a church, we want to be apostolic. That word apostolic, apostle, means a sent one. Now, you might think, well, there's a few apostles in the Bible, or maybe a few church leaders are apostles. And that is a designation in Ephesians. It talks about apostles, and we'll talk about that down the line. But actually, if you're a Christian, then you're apostled. You are a sent one. God is sending you. And relating to what I said about you, calling you to stand with you whatever age and generation you're in, God is sending you into the world as a gift, full of grace, full of potential, full of his goodness, full of his fruit, full of his kindness, full of his power. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Are you aware of that? Yes, yes. I'm English. Yes, I think there probably is lurking down there somewhere. In a Pentecostal church in Africa by now, they will be swinging from the shack and yeah, amen, power! But with Anglicans, we go, there's probably a little bit of power down there somewhere, if I look for it, probably, on a good day with the wind behind me. <laughs> You're full of power. You're full of life. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. And the world needs to hear that. So Jesus wants to send you out as this this glorious ticking bomb to bring his glory and to bring his power, to bring his kindness and to bring his breakthrough. So we're a sent body. So we believe that as church, we're sent into the world. But we do that from relationship. We do that from family. We do that together 
We don't kind of, we're not sent out individually, but we're sent, which is why we pray for Paul, which is why we just pray for Bex, because when we go, we pray. When we come back, we hear the good things that God does. And that, whether that's Sri Lanka or Bahamas or whether it's into Twerton, we want to hear what God's doing so that we can celebrate it together. So those are the five foundation stones. Worship-centered, Holy Spirit encounters, family-focused, generationally joined, together an apostolic community part of the church in the city because we're not saying we are the church we're part of the church the glorious church that together with other churches seeks to bring his glory and his goodness can you remember those good that's what we're called to so uh, over the next few weeks we're going to kind of different voices are going to share into some of that and and kind of say okay they sound really good and more importantly they're really funky little signs that you've created okay but tim what does that really look like for us as a church? What does that look like for me on Monday morning when I go into lectures? What does that look like for me when I go to school? What does that look like for me when I go to work? What does it mean for me as a church? How does that, what do those things look like? Well, over the next five weeks, we're going to do that in some fun sort of ways, and we're going to unpack that together and experience what that means. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to stop, and uh, we're going to close with a bit of worship. Is that okay? Because.